right, good morning, you guys. Could we say thank you once again to the Lucariellos? Thank you for doing announcements. And uh, good morning, how's everyone doing? You guys made it, so uh, thank you so much for uh, traversing through traffic and uh, joining us uh, this morning. Would you guys, guys go ahead and open your Bible uh, to James chapter 1 as we continue our series today on faith works. Faith works, that faith is not just um, an idea, it's not, not just a concept, but it's something that's tangible, that works in our everyday lives, okay? And um, as we go through James chapter 1, if you go through your notes in your bulletins, it's, we're going to be talking about pure joy, pure joy. How many like stuff that are 100% pure, right? Now, if you're in, from this community, you know about Uncle Clay's house of what? Pure aloha, right? Where uh, he just makes the most delicious snow cone, right, Danny? And uh, shave ice. Ah, oh. hey, I'm wearing my I'm wearing my sandals right now. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> slippers, slippers. All right, but anyways, um, you know, as we talk about something that's pure, because um, the Bible, uh, James says, chapter one, verse three, that or two rather that we're to count it pure joy when we encounter various trials. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, when we encounter hardships or difficulties in life. How many of you have heard the term of, uh, or the saying, the, of, uh, if life throws you lemonades, what do you, or lemons, what do you do? You make lemonades, right? Um, and I don't know about you, but I am a coffee drinker, okay? And, uh, you know, social, sociologists actually say that the type of coffee you drink, you, you portray a lot about yourself, right? So if you drink coffee at home with Folgers, you know, you're, you're pretty like, you're just real unfiltered. No, I'm good. I don't need any of that fancy schmancy stuff, right? If you go to um, McDonald's for coffee or 7-Eleven, it's like, oh, you don't really care. You just need, you know. But if you go to Starbucks and you have your Starbucks coffee, coffee bean coffee, Honolulu Coffee Company, you, you're trying to usually portray something about yourself. Now, if you Google the most expensive coffee in the world, you're going to encounter coffee in Southeast Asia called Kopi Luwak. And what Kopi Luwak is, is uh, this southeastern in, in the Pacific, it's... Uh, it's very expensive coffee. If you go to uh, Amazon, you put in Kopi Luwak, it, for 3.5 ounces is $150. If you go to eBay for a six ounce, it's $299 for Kopi Luwak. What is Kopi Luwak? It is Indonesian farmers, they noticed, when life throws you lemons, you make lemonades, they noticed that um, their coffee berries, their coffee cherries, the very best one, the ripest one, the choices of the cherries, they would get eaten up by these civets. Civets look like, um, like raccoons, but without the burglar eyes, okay? And civets, they're almost like giant cats. And civets, they would eat up only and they would smell, get the very best coffee beans. And as they eat it, the enzymes in their in digestive system, it goes through their intestines, their enzymes break down all the, the harshness and the acidity of the very best coffees, and then they defecate it. 
And so the Indian farmer's like, what are we going to do with this? Like, they're getting our very best cherries. And they're like, let's, let's uh, wipe this up, clean this up. And they started, they noticing, like, you know, we could market this and we could sell this. And the, so the most expensive coffees in the world is defecated civet poop, okay, <laughs> which they get and they clean it up, they roast it, it's totally clean now, and they, they've kind of made a, an industry out of it. But from literally poop came out the very best or most expensive coffee in the world. Now, this might be a silly illustration, but when we encounter trials, we're to see, we're to consider, we're to esteem them or count them as what? Joy. Not just joy, but para charis, all joy, pure joy. And we're going to go through and see why we are to, when, we, when hardships come our way, that we're to have joy. And we're going to see from James chapter 1. So if we could all stand together, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 11, just in reverence to God's word, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. All right, I'll go ahead and read. And today we're actually reading from the NIV. Usually we read from the ESV, but the NIV did a great translation. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and that perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Check out the word play. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, it needs a supernatural act from you to convince us right now, God, to consider our trials with joy. Because, Lord, difficulties, death, loss, tribulations, Lord, that come along our path, we want to avoid it at all cost. We shy away from it. But, Father, I pray right now that your spirit would so work, Lord, that there would be such a persuasion of you, God, that we, as your people, we would welcome trials and count it and consider it as pure joy so that, Lord God, we could be more like you. So, Lord, would you quicken our minds, would you sharpen our ears, O Lord, open our eyes to the wonderful truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when trials and suffering and difficulty can be expected. And let me just say this, that they do not surprise God. God is not surprised by your difficulties. God is not shocked by your hardships in life. Okay, and um, could I just have this theological term, which is this, that God is not an ambulance driver. What do I mean by that? Because an ambulance driver only comes after the incident happened. The ambulance driver are, is shocked and they only arrive after the accident happens and they try to put things back together. An ambulance driver shows up and says, oh no, oh my goodness, how, we, we have to try to save his life. That, that is not how God works and that is not how God operates. God does not show up after the fact, after the heartache, after the tears, after the ordeal, after the loss, after the grief. God does not show up after it. He shows up during it. That, uh, remember the movie Gladiator? Yeah. Man, that was made in 2000, 19 years ago. I feel old now. I'm turning four, I just turned 40. But remember the opening scene of Gladiator? There was a battle at Germania, right? And here comes Commodus, played by uh, Joaquin Phoenix. And he's all bougie, sitting up in a carriage, horse-drawn carriage, and sipping his tea with his pinky out. And, and he was talking, and, and he's like, oh, shall we arrive at the battle? And as he was talking, Russell Crowe, played by who? Maximus, right? Maximus, he's just out there fighting the, the barbarians, or the barbaric German tribes, and they're fighting it out, blood, sweat, and tears, and going through it. And after the battle's won, you see that slow motion, and Russell Crowe's trying to breathe. <sighs> yeah, we finally, the Roman Empire, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome has come. And here comes Commodus. He opens the door. Father, Father, is the battle over? Have I missed the battle? And what did the, his father, who was the Caesar at that time, what did he say? Son, not only have you missed the battle, you missed the war. God is more like Maximus than Commodus, that he is with you, that God is at work. And here's the main point. Would you write this down this morning? That welcome trials with joy because God is working in my life. That you receive and you welcome trials, how? With joy. Why should we receive trials with joy? Because it confirms that when you and I are going through hardship, that God is doing something. God is doing a work of heart, a work of art in you. That he's making you more like him. And what are we going to do with the truth that in light of our suffering, that life is hard? Life is grimy. Life is difficult. What are we going to do with the fact that even though Jesus has brought the kingdom of God here now, it is here now but not fully yet. That we live in a world of sickness, of cancer, of AIDS, of death, of sex trafficking, of child slavery, and all the evils that's going on in, in the world. And there's hardships that we go through. What are we going to do in light of that? How, what is one, what is the objective thing that we can hold on to in light of our suffering? 
and I'm going to proclaim this till the, my very last breath here on earth, is that my heart is to point people to the cross. That there is no greater objective of God's evidence that He is for you and not against you than the fact that Christ has come, that He has died, and He has ransomed you and rescued our souls from sin and from death. We have in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus the objective evidence that regardless of hardship and suffering, God is for us, not against us, that we have not been abandoned, that Christ was abandoned so that you and I would be accepted, that Christ was judged on the, up on that tree and He was cursed so that you and I could be blessed and be loved for all time. And as we look to the cross, we're going to encounter different trials that we go through. Now, you notice I, I said the word encounter. Because in the Greek, the word there, um, count it all joy when you meet or encounter various trials. The word there is, uh, suggests it's unwelcome or unanticipated experience. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, when Jesus talked about the Good Samaritan, and the Good Samaritan, what? He fell he encountered robbers who beat him next to death and took all of his stuff. That is the same word that Jesus uses for this word, encounter trials. Now, the word trials here is the Greek word perasmos, perasmos. And uh, a word that's related to it is pirate, where we get the word pirate. That trials come and they attack. Trials come and they plunder. P trials come and problems come and then they steal. But we are, as fellow believers, we're to welcome trials. Why? Because it confirms that God is at work in our lives. James chapter 1, consider it, think of it, pure joy or all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face, when you encounter when you're pirated with trials of many kinds. So, I don't know what kind of trials you're at this morning. Maybe some of you are going through marital trials. Maybe some of you are going through financial trials or crises. Maybe some of you, it's a relational difficulty that you're going through. I have good news for you. God has a purpose for your suffering. That God is not up there, just like, oh, let's see how far they can go. That God is with you. He does not show up after the fact when your heart is broken and you've exhausted all your tears. God is with you through this, and he is encouraging you and strengthening you. And so would you write down, number one, is that the journey to Christian maturity is paved with trials. The journey... To Christian maturity, it is paved and set with or in trials. So verse 2, it gives us the command to what? Consider it pure joy. Verse 3 to 4, it gives us the reason why. Why should we welcome trials? Look at, look at verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith. You could put an equal sign if you're taking notes. What are trials? Trials are things that test your faith. Because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces what? 
perseverance, and that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Would you write down in your notes? Trials plus perseverance equals what? Maturity. Trials, hardships, suffering, when you marry that to persevering, when you marry that to endurance, that is how you and I could become mature in our faith with the Lord. There's no other way except through hardship and trials. Now, joy and suffering are consistent themes in the New Testament. Look at Romans chapter 5. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace which, in which we stand. And we what? Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our what? Suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. That we don't suffer for the sake of suffering. We suffer so that in us, God would forge. In us, God would make what? Perseverance. That we don't tap out. That when you're going through a, a problem with your spouse, that you don't say, you know, I'm so done with this. I'm so done with you. I'm so done with this marriage. I want a divorce. I'm so over this. I want a separation. I'm done. That when you go through trials, it produces in you endurance. That when your kids go buck wild, right, and they rebel, and they do exactly opposite of what you tell them to do, that you don't go, it's like, I'm so done with you, get out of my house, you. That you don't tap out and give up on your kids. I'm so done with you, get out of here. But you persevere, and that God produces something in you. It produces Endurance, endurance produces character in you and character produces hope that one day God will hear my prayer. One day my finances will turn around. One day God will heal, heal the cancer. One day my prodigal daughter is coming home. One day my marriage will be reconciled. You cannot have maturity without endurance. It's not possible. Now, it's been a while since I've been to the gym, um, but what I heard is, uh, you know, when the beach is over there, I'm just kidding. Now, when you work out, your muscles are actually tearing. When you work out and you feel sore, when you go to sleep, your body and your muscle is in shock, it's trying to recover, and it builds up when you rest and when you sleep at night. You cannot have muscles without tearing. How many of us want to be baby Christians for the rest of our lives? How many of us want to be easily offended that if we don't get greeted at church, or if they sing a song that you didn't like, or if there was someone next to you that sang the wrong note, that, you know, I'm not going to that church. How many of you want to be the, those baby immature Christians that are easily offended? Or... Do we grow, do we aspire to be mature, forged by endurance, that we don't tap out, I'm done, I'm done, I'm over it, this is 
this is so done, I'm so over it. But we actually persevere through the hard things. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice. See here, there's a marriage of rejoicing. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Think about if you could get the remote control of your life. Think about the hardest season that you've gone through. Think about the loss. Maybe for some it's a literal loss of a loved one and it's been difficult. Hindsight being 2020, you're able to look back and it's like my faith grew at that moment. How many of you could attest to that? How many of you, when you went through something and you prayed and you got on your knees and you fasted and you sought the Lord and you interceded through a very difficult season? Maybe it was praying for a cancer, praying for healing, and then it was those difficult, gnarly, grimy, gritty moments where your faith is being tested and you persevered through it, and now you come up and you're just like, oh, like, I flexed that muscle. I, I worked on that. See, God, He designs that when we encounter trials that we persevere, that we don't tap, that we don't quit, that we don't walk out, that we don't walk out on our families, that we don't walk out on our marriages, that we don't walk out in our relationships, that we don't walk out in our faith when things go wrong. Because I don't know about you, but I think oftentimes we... When things are going well, we think it's because of us. When things are good, your health is good. Oh, yeah, you know, I went completely clean living. That's why I started exercising and, you know, I did keto and they did all these different things. And when things are going well, oh, it's because I put in the extra hours. Oh, because I earned that degree. Oh, it's because I put in that work. I hustled. I put a, when things are going well financially, physically, everywhere else that you're going through, you're like, oh, it's because of me. I did that. But look how vile and twisted the human heart is. But when things go bad, do we blame ourselves? Who do we blame? God, how could you let this happen to me? What is going on? How could you let my kids do that to me? Why could you let my spouse do that to me? When things go bad, we blame God. When things go well, it's because of us. This goes to number two. Would you write this down? The acquisition of God's wisdom is given through prayers of faith during trials. That we, re we receive, we retrieve the wisdom of God through prayers of faith during trials. Do you guys see this? That the genius, check this out, the genius of God, the genius of heaven who created the universe, who spoke things into existence, who put all the orbits of the earth together and the time and the space and the distance and gravity and all that stuff, the genius of heaven 
is downloaded to you and to me when we pray and ask for wisdom. That God will show you how to pray. God will show you how to move forward. God will provide for you insight and in how to best reach your children. God will give you a spirit of revelation and he will reveal for you a way out of your financial crisis. That God will give you wisdom when you go through trials. So why should we encounter, why should we, when we encounter trials, why should we consider it all joy? Number one, it's because God is maturing us, verses 3 and 4. Verses 5 through 8 is because we get the wisdom of God. That when, when we pray, we begin an awareness, we develop an awareness that we need God. Because if everything was all good in the hood, right? If you're just chilling like a villain on penicillin, and if you're just kind of like completely chill and everything's good, who, eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we're going to die. Who needs God? Is it any wonder why Jesus says it is impossible for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God because he will trust in his riches? It is only through trials that we humble ourselves like, Lord, with all my money, with all my education, I can't change and I can't reach my children. With all my hard work, with all my degrees, oh Lord God, I can't change my spouse's heart. With all my business acumen and all my business prowess, Lord, I can't, I can't turn this company over. So you get down on your knees. You realize that it was God all along, not you. That's why James says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Look at verse 7. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. That when we pray and ask God for wisdom, He gives it liberally or He gives it generously. In his book of prayer, Ol Hollisby says this. To pray is to let Jesus into our hearts. It is not our prayer which moves the Lord Jesus. It is Jesus who moves us to pray. He knocks. Our prayers are always a result of Jesus knocking at our heart's door. This throws light upon the old prophetic passages. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will already hear. Isaiah 65, 24. To pray is nothing more involved than to let Jesus into our needs. To pray is to give Jesus permission to employ his powers in the alleviation of our distress. To pray is to let Jesus glorify his name in the midst of our deeds. To pray is nothing more than to open the door and giving Jesus access to our needs and permitting him to exercise his own power in dealing with them. Trials help us be consciously aware that we need God. It drives us to our knees. When we're at our wit's end, we can't figure out nowhere else to go. Remember John chapter 6, verse 66? 666, dun, 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 right? The disciples left him because he said, hey, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They're like, no, we're good. And a lot of disciples left. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, hey, you guys, are you guys going to leave me too? And the disciples responded, what? Lord, 
where else can we go for you alone have words of eternal life? It's trials that makes us realize control is an illusion. There's no such thing as control. You do your best, but all it takes is one phone call from an oncologist to tell you they have cancer. You try to control over your finance, all it takes is one economic recession. And your, the, your property is done away with. All it takes is one phone call, your child got into an accident, I'm so sorry to tell you. That could, it's, it's through hardship that we realize, Lord, I need you so much. I need thee every hour. Not just on Sundays, but every hour, every second, Lord, I need you. I'm going to close by a quote from A.W. Tozer before we hear a testimony from one of our sisters. This is what he says about hardship. Hosea chapter 10 says that break up the fallow ground. Fallow means that it's, it's ground that's not been utilized. It's ground that's just dormant. It just lies there. There's no fruit. There's no trees. There's no vegetation. It's just fallow. It's just there. The fallow field is smug. It's content, contented. It's protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. But it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it see the miracle of growth. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life, nor see the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow, and the plow has come as plows always come, practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, it's been turned over, it's been bruised and broken, but its rewards come hard upon its labors. Here we go. The seed shoots up into the daylight, its miracle of life, curious and exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, and consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground. And I love this. Nature's wonders follow the plow. Growth, fruit, can only happen when there's the plow of hardship. You could only have life, even Jesus says, not unless seed falls to the ground and it dies, then you can bear fruit. And so this morning, we have just an amazing testimony for one of our uh, just beloved sisters in the Lord. Um, will you guys welcome Jan Chan? Yeah, Jan. <laughs> Happy birthday, Damon. Oh. <laughs> um, good morning, I'm Jan Chan. Um, 
I was blessed, I am blessed to be married to my God-fearing husband, Scotty. Um, Cassidy is serving in the ark, and my son goes to San Diego Christian, he's a sophomore. So yesterday, I was officially cleared to drive after a nine-month restriction due to being diagnosed with complex partial seizures. This aura sensation had been occurring off and on since 2015. But on December 29, 2018, while on a ski trip with my faith family in Utah, I had back-to-back -back episodes that left me dazed and drooling. Exactly a week after my diagnosis, I wrote down a verse from Matthew 17:15. It says, Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. To be honest, I wrote it down just because of the word seizures. Who knew that word would be in the Bible? It was from that verse that I knew I was completely covered and that God really knows me and he wanted my attention. I thank the Lord for this new season and I trusted in him that he would see me through. But I also prayed and asked for grace and mercy upon me as I was suffering with this new label. I felt so embarrassed, frustrated, and paralyzed all at the same time. Like, how am I going to get to work, do the Costco runs, and most importantly, go shopping? <laughs> I felt burdensome to my family and friends. It's a good thing that Cassidy has her license and Kaiser High School granted her a pass to pick me up every day during her lunch to take me home. My family and friends were gracious and generously helping with me um, being my personal Uber for nine months. A month after being diagnosed, I journaled on the same verse as today's teaching, James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy. I journaled as I realized that the Lord knows exactly what I needed and when, not what I wanted. He cares and loves me too much to let me keep going without waking me up from a slumbering, faithless relationship with him. I agreed and considered it joy to accept this new seizure season. I needed to be submissive and release control and let Jesus literally take the wheel. He knew I needed humbling, intentionality to seek him and be obedient to him. I wanted the season to be a joyful one as well as a fruitful one, and it was. It forced Scotty and I to spend more time together as he was now my personal chauffeur. At first, we didn't like it. He didn't like my backseat driving comments. He even told me to put away the clipboard, you know, like those driver license examiner. Anyway, um, and I still don't like how he drives, um, but regardless of his driving skills, I know that the Lord knew we needed this correct connection time. I value our car rides together as we got to have meaningful conversations and laughter on the slow and long ride to town. I also wrote something that Pastor John said. He says, real faith starts with, and even if, and you fill in your own blank, I will. So I wrote, if I'm going through this season to be a witness and glorify you, then I will. While trying to figure out when the seizures were occurring, I was attached with wires and to a machine for 72 hours in a contained room, away from my family at a neurological center to monitor the activity. The only time I was allowed to disconnect was to use the bathroom. It was at this moment that I realized how my sins were like the wires, keeping me from being free. I felt that God has downloaded many revelations under my circumstances. 
one day while advising the kids to just listen to the advice I was giving them, as we all don't want our kids to learn the hard way, it hits me. My Heavenly Father wanted the same for me. He gently nudged me and said, um, Jan, this is what I've been trying to say all along. Read my daily love notes. It's all wrapped up in one book. Glean and be obedient, as I don't want you to learn the hard way either. I'm still not in the clear. It may take many years to get off the meds, and I'm still maturing. But one thing I know for sure is that I consider it a joy to have been chosen to go through this. Scotty sent out a daily devo today, and it says from 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Even with a seizure diagnosis, I feel I have more clarity in my faith and in our Heavenly Father than before. Thank you. Can we all stand together? As, as we stand, I'm going to ask uh, Scotty to uh, come down as well. And if we could pray for them as a church ohana. Um, it's these difficult seasons. We just came off a four-week series on bearing each other burdens. And, um, you know, what I love about Jan is that uh, uh, she came in and she's like, you know, I seriously, Pastor John, I seriously, I feel bad for people who don't go through hardship. Like, it sucks to be them because they're just, God is just kind of not disciplining them. God's just letting them go buckle loose and go do whatever they want. But God has allowed me and has chosen me to go through hardship. And I'm so joyful. I'm so glad that he's allowing this. That through this, my marriage has gotten better. Through this, my children are praying for me and they're making a connection of ownership of their faith that through this her faith has gotten stronger and there's solidarity in their home and it's only through trials nothing else can do it right so trials plus perseverance equals maturity and so with that in mind uh also i love that uh, uh jan you know monday last monday i was thinking and praying about the message coming up, count it all joy, and I was like, huh, around noontime, I talked, and I thought, man, Jan would be amazing to do this testimony. I was like, I'll give her a call tomorrow since today's my day off, it's Sabbath, and then so Tuesday I called her, and when I called her, she said, Pastor John, you'll never believe, yesterday I was just talking to my girlfriend, Naomi, and she's like, man, I've gone through this, but I haven't shared it to anybody, like, God is, hasn't been glorified in this, like, I've kept it to myself, I want to share the joy that I've gone through, and she said, when was that? So that was on Monday, I was like, that was the same time, same date, when God told me, you should do a testimony, and so, isn't that amazing how God works, and so, yeah, praise the Lord for that. But as uh, Jan said, they're not in the clear yet. Um, there could be a season or it could be a process. But main thing is stick close to the Lord and um, watch each other's back. Be there for one another. Let's stretch our hands and let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, because it is through the testimony of the saints and the blood of the Lamb that we're able, Lord, to defeat the accuser of the brethren. It is through stories of God, of, of God change. It's through stories, Lord God, of transformed lives. 
It's through testimonies, O oh Lord God, of your deliverance, of your grace, of your mercies, O oh Lord Jesus, that we're able to persevere and move forward and grow in maturity and express our dependency on you. So Lord, I pray just grace upon grace upon the Chun family, O oh Lord God, from Scotty, the head of the home, I pray that he would lead, Lord, with integrity, with a humbleness of heart, O oh Lord Jesus. I pray, God, that with skillfulness of hands and integrity of heart, he would lead his family, his business, Lord. Father, I pray that you would watch over him. Lord, I pray for Jan, just a special anointing upon her, that you would use her testimony, Lord, for your glory. Lord, I ask that you would, she will not grow weary in doing good, Lord, but she would press on and persevere knowing that there's a season of harvest. And so, Lord, we pray in faith, we pray for wisdom, Lord, for them, that you would download the genius of heaven and how they move forward, Lord, uh, with this um, condition that they're going through. Lord, we even pray, God, for uh, uh, Cass, oh, Lord Jesus, and Kennedy. Lord, I pray that they would grow to be young men and women, Lord, after your very own hearts. Lord, that they would see the deliverance and the work of God in their parents' lives and that they would take that on and live it out for their own. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for each person here this morning. Lord, there are some here who are discouraged. There are some here, Lord God, that are ready to walk out on a relationship, ready to give up on their kids. They've been persevering. Lord, I pray right now that you would be the, their glory and the lifter of their heads. I ask, Lord, that they will not grow weary in doing good, for in due season, by the authority of your word, there will be harvest. In due season, there will be a breakthrough. In due season, there will be a miracle. In due season, the prodigal will come home. In due season, there will be healing. In due season, O oh Lord God, you will restore uh, financial um, crisis, O oh Lord. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much, that you accept us as we are, but you love us too much to leave us that way, that you encourage us to grow and to mature. And so, Father, we love you, we worship you, we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Could you say thank you once again to Scotty and John?